Really good to see you today. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, and uh, I have to say that, that I think that extra hour of sleep was good for you because I, I was uh, out in the hallway and then in an office talking to somebody uh, during uh, the beginning of the service, and it sounded like there were like several hundred people uh, in here singing. So you sound good today. Um, all right, we're continuing on in the series, uh, This Is Us, and we're talking about, uh, we're talking about our mission, who we are, talking about our core values as a church, and winding down to the end of this in, in a couple of weeks, and trying to deal with the core values that we haven't dealt with yet. And, and really today, we're kind of going to deal with the question of, well, how do we handle sin in our lives, in the lives of others, uh, with, within the church? How do Christians... Uh, relate to uh, non-Christians, and I want to try to set this up for us before we look at the core value in the Scripture, and kind of want to tell you a couple of stories that, well, I think tie into this and um, hopefully lay a foundation for us, but, you know, one of the things that's kind of amazed me, uh, you know, in the 16 years since we moved back here to start True Life, which that in and of itself amazes me, uh, it doesn't hardly seem possible, but... Um, you know, it's the number of people that I have met over the years who have told me things like um, that, you know, they don't feel like they can go to church because, uh, you know, they don't have church clothes or because they have tattoos or things like that. Or even, you know, more in particular, people who literally have told me that they've been asked to leave churches because they weren't wearing a suit and a tie when they showed up or they weren't wearing a dress or they weren't wearing, quote, churchy type clothes. I mean, I've literally had people tell me stories like that. And, and um, maybe, you know, one, an example of that is some of you I'm sure are familiar with Faith Promise Church in, in, in the Knoxville area. I'm sure it's the biggest church in East Tennessee. I don't know, it may be the biggest church in the state of Tennessee now. And, and, and sometimes, um, you know, people are suspect of mega churches, sometimes for good reason. But from everything I can tell, they're the real deal uh, there. A lot of people don't know this, but they actually, their small group pastor at the time, helped True Life start its small group uh, ministry. And some of our elders and staff over the years have met with some of their staff, and, and they've helped us. And I know Pastor Chris uh, a, a little bit. But anyway, Chris Stevens is the lead pastor there. And in his testimony, Chris became a Christian, I think when he was in his early 20s, he was a young man, but he had almost died of a drug overdose, and he got saved. God just intervened in his life when he was in the hospital after he'd almost died of a drug overdose. But his story, uh, you know, before that, he grew up in a terrible situation. He grew up in an abusive situation, a mom who just cycled through one man after the other, uh, you know, many of them abusive. He was harmed in some very real uh, ways. And uh, when he was a teenager, he, he, he went to church with, with, with a friend and, uh, you know, they, they were dirt poor, had almost nothing, uh, you know, didn't hardly even have any clothes. He wore the best clothes uh, th that he had. And um, one of the deacons of the church, like, met him at the door and said, boy, you can't come in here uh, dressed like that. And, uh, you know, he vowed at that moment, you know, I'm never go back 
uh, to church, became a drug addict, became a drug dealer, those kind of things, and, you know, had decided to walk away from God completely, uh, but, you know, thank God, God doesn't walk away from us, and you understand, nobody's really looking for God, God's looking for us, he didn't find God, God found him, and that's all of our testimony, whatever the circumstances uh, behind it are, no, nobody found God, God's not been lost, uh, we're the ones that are lost, he finds us, okay, and he finds us, and, he's great, and he found him, but he found him despite the church, not because of the church, which is how it should be, okay, so just kind of keep that in mind, like I said, I'm just kind of laying a foundation before we get to scripture, let me tell you another story, when, uh, and some of you know this, and, and this is some of what I'm teaching today, this is kind of the circumstance that it developed out of, but uh, while, while I was in seminary, we were on staff at a church in North Carolina, and we encountered a situation at one point um, where we discovered that our minister of music was a, was a thief. Um, and, I mean, he, had, uh, he was working at a Christian bookstore, had committed what in the state of North Carolina amounted to felonies there. There had been some theft uh, on a small level within the church. And uh, his employer said, if the church will deal with it, we won't press charges because they didn't really want the publicity uh, for, for either one of us. And so our pastor was away on an extended vacation. And it's kind of like, you know, what do we do? And uh, I also had another job at, at, at that time because when you're like 23, sleep is optional, you know. It's a little different now when you're twice that old. But, uh, and, you know, I never work one day and I'm kind of freaking, about, freaking out about this whole thing. And it's kind of like um, uh, the whole, I felt like it was the Holy Spirit. I had this thought. I think it was the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know for sure if the Holy Spirit speaks this way, but, but I, I think it was the Holy Spirit. I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, or I had the thought in my own mind, have you ever thought about looking in the Bible? <laughs> I mean, that was the very clear thought. Um, and uh, so, so, I, so I did, and um, that's kind of you know, where this began. How do we handle, uh, I, I mean, how do we treat people you know, people who aren't Christians who come to church. But then, is that the same as we treat each other within the church? Do we have the same expectations? Do we have the same uh, accountability? And the reason this is so important is because, honestly, most churches in East Tennessee get what I'm about to teach you today, and it's not like some brilliant revelation that I've had. I'm just going to show you something that's stated very explicitly and clearly in Scripture. Most churches get this exactly backwards. And it's one of the things that's killing the church. So, um, what we're going to talk about, as we talk about this today, I want you to understand that, you know, this is one of my favorite sayings. You've been around here for a long time. You fall in the ditch on either side of the road. And this is one of these issues where Christians tend to fall in the ditch on both sides of the road. So, you know, when we talk about how we relate to non-Christians or how we handle sin in the church, some people get real legalistic about it. And it's about outward things. It, it, it's about... Um, you know, if you don't dress a certain way, if your hair's not a certain way, if you don't use a certain version of the Bible, don't have a certain style of worship, you know, if you got tattoos, all these kind of things, then, you know, we reject you, and so it makes people feel like God rejects you. And, and that's not God's way, that's in the ditch, 
Okay, I want you to see that in, in, in Scripture today. But, but some people, uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, they get in the ditch on the other side of the road because they have a worldly view of this that basically, well, you know, anything goes. We should just love people, uh, you know, just kind of grace covers everything. And one of the things I want to help you see today is grace does not just cover sin. Grace transforms sinners. And if you don't see that biblically, you don't have a biblical view of grace. You see, the Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And that's what underlies a lot of what I'm going to say today. That's how we're called to strive to be as individual Christians and as a church. And I want to tell you, that's hard. It's easy to be grace or truth. It's hard to be grace and truth. You understand what I'm saying? It's easy to be all truth and just use the Bible like a club and beat people over the head with it. Or it's, it's easy, you know, to be all grace and it's just like God accepts everybody and just kind of whatever and, you know, you live your truth, you do your thing and God's here for you and he loves you and, and those kind of things. And everybody, you know, most everybody's going to like you, right? You want to be popular in our culture, claim to be a Christian but rip out, a, practically speaking, a bunch of pages of the Bible and say anything goes and have some social media platform or go on TV and, you know, condemn all the conservative Christians, you'll be adored in our society today. Is that not true? So, but it's not grace or truth. It's grace and truth. And so uh, a few years ago, I, I preached a sermon with the funkiest sermon name ever, uh, maybe, and uh, it, it, it kind of then after that became one of our core values at True Life. So uh, that's what I'm going to talk about uh, today. It's not the same sermon. It's a different passage of Scripture. It's, uh, it's, I think it's better this time, but hopefully. But uh, I- anyway, uh, this, this is our core value, is we feel like that God has called us to be a place where it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. There's your tongue twister for the day. Just, I see y'all looking at the screen, just kind of soaking in for a minute. And, you know, when, when I go through the points of the message, all of them are kind of going to try to play off of this statement. And so you should read it on the screen just for the sake of your own brain and for the sake that there's a really good chance I'm going to get tongue-tied and say it wrong at some point during the message. That's at least what Jessica and Andy have told me this week. So well, they're usually right. So uh, we're a place where it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. In other words, we meet people where they are and welcome people to come as they are because we do not expect non-Christians to think or believe like non-Christians, but we do expect Christians not to be perfect, but to be in a place, a process of transformation, living lives of repentance. So a place where it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Grace and truth. That's who God has called us to be as a church according to Scripture. So uh, let's look at what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 5. And we're going to read um, the whole chapter and just kind of walk through it. I'll make a few kind of explanatory comments. And then we're going to go back and I want to try to develop uh, this core value out of this text. Make four points to you. Uh, about that. But let, let's just kind of read through it and, and get the flow of Paul's thinking. Now understand, Paul in the middle of the first century AD 
is writing a letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a church in, in, a, in a city called Corinth. We were in Corinthians last week and said, you know, it, it's a, it was a Gentile city, a um, lot of idol worship there, just some strange religious practices. And uh, so, you know, this wasn't like the church of Jerusalem where you had, you know, a bunch of Jews who, uh, you know, have been instructed in the scriptures their whole life, you know, were very moral, and now they, you know, had had recognized that Jesus is the Messiah, but they had all this background, this good background. Uh, This is more like 21st century America, where these people don't have so much background, religious background, they've got baggage. That's what they're bringing to the table. Because, you know, most adults who get saved in America today, we're bringing a lot of baggage uh, to the deal, okay? And, and I think that's important to keep in mind. But Paul is dealing with a very real situation here. And so, you know, if, if you think that the Bible is just this fairy tale kind of book and uh, it doesn't deal with real life, this text ought to explode that myth, bust that bubble in a hurry, okay? Because here's the situation. He says in verse 1, he says, It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. He's saying basically the pagans don't even do this. And you got it going on in the church. Um, the, the, the activity that he names was actually illegal according to Roman law. So this wasn't just like immoral, it was unlawful. Uh, and so he says uh, that what's going on is that a man has his father's wife. And uh, in other words, because, you know, I, I, Paul seems to be trying, uh, you know, to say it uh, somewhat discreetly maybe. And let me say it a little more bluntly. You have a man who's having sex with his stepmother. That, that's the problem. That, that's what's going on. And, and Paul is calling that out. But I want you to see at, at this point, I mean, they were, they were dealing with the man, but it, what he's going to do is really going to more fuss at the church than the man because he's like with the church, you're letting this go on, you're not dealing with it at all, okay? But I mean, this is, I think most people would consider this kind of a pretty bad thing, right? But he's saying like, you're not dealing with it. I mean, I, I think this was an episode on the first season of the Jerry Springer show. I, I mean, this is kind of out there. Right? This is a little bit of a freaky thing. And so look at what he says to the church, though, in verse 2. He says, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. And so what he's saying is, you're proud. You ought to be mourning over this. You ought to be grieving over this. Um, You know, our response to sin should not be condemnation. It should not be excuses. Uh, it, it shouldn't be certainly gloating because I think sometimes when somebody gets caught in something, if we're not careful, that's how we can uh, react to it. Our response should be mourning. But it's hard to mourn over other people's sin when we're not mourning over our own. But he said, you need to deal with this. If this, if he, this guy's going to live this way, he shouldn't even be in the church. And, and we would assume that uh, because he's talking about the man and not the woman, and, and this even factors into what he's going to say at the end of the chapter, we would assume that the man was a believer and the woman wasn't. Okay? So verse 3, he says, For I indeed is absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged. Hang on a second. Paul judged somebody? I didn't think we were supposed to judge anybody in the church. He's an apostle. 
He did. Understand, there's different kinds of judgment. There's discernment and there's condemnation. We're not to condemn anything. We're to discern everything. That's what he's talking about. He says, him who has so done this deed. But he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He's talking about a, church of, uh, a process of church discipline that would deal with this man with the ultimate goal of this man being saved, of this man uh, being restored. David Platt says of this passage, as you read through it, and I think he's right, that there's three primary concerns that Paul is sharing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They are the glory of God, the purity of the church, and the salvation of the individual. Because one of the things that we need to understand is that if we don't repent of sin, it's a sign that we're not really saved in the first place. Okay? So he says to the church, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And and here's what he's saying here. Leaven is a symbol of evil in Scripture. He's saying if you don't deal with sin... It spreads. If you don't call things out, people are thinking, going to think it's okay, and more people are going to do it. And it's going to spread. It's going to permeate. It's going to infect. It's going to spoil the whole thing. He says, therefore, purge out the old leaven, and and, and he's playing off the Passover theme, relating it to the Lord's Supper, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So what he's saying is, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we're unleavened, we're pure, we're forgiven of sin, but now as Christians, that's our position. Now, practically, we have to live that out by, in an ongoing, daily manner, repenting of sin in our lives, where our practice Practice begins to match up to our position, which is what the Bible calls sanctification or spiritual growth. That makes sense. That's what we're called to uh, as a church. This is the end of your notes, but I'm just I'm going to go ahead and share it right now. Uh, Lily and I, um, we were in uh, we were used to live in Frederick, Maryland this summer, and uh, on Sunday we went down to see a WNBA game in Washington D.C. But uh, on on our way down, we stopped in uh, like Rockville, Maryland, Bethesda, Maryland, one of the satellite campuses of McLean McLean Bible Church, where David Platts, the teaching pastor, and he was actually preaching. Uh, about church discipline that day, and he, and he said a couple of things that I want to share with you. He says, I will not be judged by God for the number of people who come to hear me preach, but by the holiness of the church I pastor. The measure of success is not how many people are coming and sitting in seats in the church, but are those people looking more and more like Jesus? And I believe that. Now, I don't believe it's either or, and he doesn't either. I mean, we want to reach as many people as we can. We want to grow, but we don't want to have numerical growth at the expense of holiness or spiritual growth. We can do that. That's easy. You can be all grace, and you can have numbers. But you want to have a holy church? you got to be grace and truth. And we need to have that conviction. But, but understand, if you're not a Christian today... Jesus was sacrificed for you. He will meet you where you are. He paid the price for all of your sins. 
all you have to do is repent and believe. Like Shane said earlier, you don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to him. He's come to you. Now you receive him by faith. So he says, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In other words, he's saying, don't be a hypocrite. And what, what he's saying is, if, if we are hanging on to sin in our lives, hiding sin, living a double life, or if we as a church are um, allowing people to do that without trying to help them, that's what we're being. We're living with malice and wickedness instead of sincerity and truth. Uh, you know, part of the, the, the point of this message, the application of this message, part of what I believe Jesus is calling us to today is to, to get out of the darkness and walk in the light. You know, to be honest about where we are and what we're struggling with and, and what we're wrestling with. Because the reality is, in, in the way I'm using okay here is kind of euphemistically, none of us are really okay. Right? We all have brokenness in our lives. We all have struggles in our lives. We all have sin in, in, in our lives. We all have challenges in our lives. And if we can just be honest about that, that's going to get us, uh, that's going to move the ball a long way down the field right there. Now, Paul switches gears here then in verses 9 through 13, and, and he's, he's a little more general. He, he, was, he was dealing very specifically with that situation, but now it gets a little more general, and this is important. And so I want to read this, and this is actually where I'm going to start in, in, and then kind of work our way backwards. So Paul says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly do not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Now, understand, he's speaking in a very technical way here. He's talking about the process of church discipline. He's not saying you see somebody commit a sin, you're just supposed to disassociate yourself uh, with that person. And if we have time at the end, I'll develop that a little bit more. Uh, if you've got more questions about that, come to our membership class tonight. That's one of the things we talk about. You can sign up for that in your bulletin. See what I did there? That's pretty good. Uh, a segue into an advertisement. So uh, you're invited to do that. Uh, but then verse 12, he says, For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside, but those who are outside God judges? Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying don't expect a non-Christian to think or believe like a Christian. He says you deal with sin in the church. Let God deal with with those who are outside the church. And, and do you see why um, that I say most churches get that backwards? Um, so here's, here's the first point I want to make to you. It's okay for non-Christians to not be okay. It's okay for non-Christians to not be okay. In, in other words, like I said, we're not to judge non-Christians for not believing or acting like Christians. It's moralism instead of the gospel. And so, um, you know, some of the ways that this manifests itself is that um, 
you know, you'll go to a church and, and, and people are kind of, you know, they're doing things and people know about it and nobody deals with it. But then you'll hear a sermon and the sermon's talking about how bad the world is or all the terrible things in Hollywood or all the bad things on uh, the, the Internet. Or um, since this is election season, right? Anybody sick of that? Would somebody like to volunteer to be like a running candidate for the Tennessee Senate election so we don't have to watch any more commercials uh, on that? I don't care what side of you lean politically. Everybody's sick of that, right? But in, in, in churches, when you hear people preach like politically oriented sermons, I don't care if it's for the left or the right. It's moralism instead of the gospel. It's expecting people to conform to a standard that they haven't signed up for yet. Right? It's, and, and, and the reason I say it's moralism instead of the gospel is moralism is the idea that we can change from the outside in. The gospel is we change from the inside out. So if you think people can live the Christian life without knowing Jesus, without the power of the indwelling spirit, I don't even think you're a Christian because you're missing the entire point of it. So, as a church, we can't expect people to think and act and believe like Christians if they're not in Christ yet. And when churches do that, it's not really even a biblical church. And so, um, you know, here's an example. Um, I saw a video on, on YouTube. Some of you, I'm sure some of you like Lauren Daigle, right? Like her music. Uh, I don't. I only know like a couple of her songs, but um, she was on the Ellen DeGeneres show recently, and and, and she did a, a song. Uh, I really liked the song. Basically, she was singing the gospel, but she's had to defend herself from criticism amongst Christians for appearing on the Ellen show. Ellen, I don't know what's the name of the show. Okay, whatever. Uh, for uh, for appearing on her this show that Ellen DeGeneres is the host that I don't actually know the name of, that I should have been better prepared for, but just work with me. Uh, so uh, she appears on the show. She sings this song. It's not like, uh, and, and the reason it's controversial is because, uh, you know, Ellen DeGeneres is an open, open practicing homosexual, but it's not like she's like doing an interview and to appear on the show, she had to say that there's some, everything's okay with homosexuality, that kind of thing. She sang the gospel. Now to me, that's an awesome platform. She said, and, and even Ellen picked the song that she sang. And uh, the name of the song is still Rolling Stone. I mean, go listen to it. I mean, basically, uh, the, the premise of the song is Jesus has called us from death to life. He's called us out of our sin and, 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 and made us alive uh, in him. And, you know, for people to criticize that, that's not the gospel. That's moralism. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but you, you ever heard Christians make this joke and call uh, Ellen DeGeneres Ellen Degenerate? No wonder lost people don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. I mean, think about it. I mean, if you have a world that's like welcoming open arms, we love you. Now, there's no truth in that. It's a misguided version of grace. But calling somebody Ellen degenerate, I mean, there's no truth or grace 
in that. I mean, and we expect people just to flock. Oh, Jesus loves you, but you treat people like this. You understand what I'm saying? Um, we cannot have that kind of mindset. So what I'm saying is if you're not a Christian, you don't have to get your life together to please us to be welcome here. You don't have to get your life together to please God for God to accept you. I mean, James Ryan, what he said, we can't even do that. I mean, I've been a Christian for almost 40 years now, and my life's not all together. So, uh, you know, I don't know. We'd be waiting forever. That's my point. If that's what we're waiting on, we're going to be waiting forever. But I do want to say something to you. If you're not a Christian, you need to hear this. Scott, if you would, put, put um, verse 12 back up there. And I want to be very clear about this. For anybody who's not a Christian, we are not your judge. But that does not mean that you don't have a judge. Look at what Paul wrote again. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But then notice in that first sentence of verse 13. But those who are outside, God judges. Listen to Acts 17.31. Paul wrote there that you have appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So how do I know that we're going to be judged someday? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And, And here's the thing that we got to understand. If we're going to be judged... We're not going to be judged on our own standard of righteousness. We're going to be judged on God's standard of righteousness. And listen, all of us fail that test. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, just think about the Ten Commandments. Uh, You know, have we always put God first? What's that make us? That makes us an idolater. Have we always kept the Sabbath? No, that means we failed to worship God. Did we always honor our parents? No. Have we lied? Have we stolen? Have we murdered? You say, I'm okay there. Well, no, Jesus said, if you got anger in your heart, uh, unjustified, it's like you've committed murder in your heart. So guilty there, right? Uh, he said, you should not commit adultery. He said, oh, well, I've never done that. Well, Jesus said, if we look at a woman to lust after, it's like we've already committed adultery in our heart. I mean, every person of a certain age has sinned in some way sexually, I would almost guarantee Have we coveted? Are we ever jealous? Do we want things that don't belong to us? We're guilty. Listen, it doesn't matter how we compare to each other. We fall short of God's standard. And we got to understand, you know, okay, we have a judge in the room, Will Roach. Think about it. If somebody was guilty of something and um, Will took a bribe and let them off, would you think he was a good judge? So why would we think that, like, we can pay God off <laughs> by, you know, giving him some money or doing some good things, and he's just going to forget about our sin? You think God is a, can be bribed? Or, or what if, you know, you appeared in, in, in Will's court, uh, and, you know, what you said, well, yeah, I'm guilty, but Shane did this, and Preston did that, and Terry did that, and he said, oh, yeah, well, I'll let you off. Is there any justice in that? Listen, sometimes non-Christians blame Christians, and and, and I get that, but can I just say to you that you need to remember that we as Christians are not the standard, Jesus is, that somebody you're blaming that on, they may not really be saved. They may be deceived. They may be a hypocrite. Um, 
they, they may just be wrong at that moment. Or, uh, you know, you may just have caught them at a bad time. Or it may be, yeah, they're struggling. But you don't know what they were like before they met Jesus. You know what I'm saying? They may not be a nine as a human being yet, but they may have moved from a one to a four, and it may not look that great to you, but to everybody who's known them for a while, they're like, praise God, this is some serious progress. So, you know, you can't just take a snapshot of somebody in a moment and use that as your excuse to not repent and believe the gospel. See, the bad news is we are sinners and we have a judge. But you know what the good news is? I mean, think about it. He said he's going to judge the world by Jesus, the one who rose from the dead. But the one who is our judge took our judgment for us. That's the gospel, that we can't save ourselves. We can't earn it on our own. But that Jesus came and the one who was guiltless died for the guilty. That the one who was innocent and pure and righteous and holy, all of our sin was placed on him. So in exchange, we can receive the righteousness of Christ. And so God calls you to admit that you're a sinner, to admit that you can't save yourself, to admit that you need your grace, his grace and mercy, and to, to turn from your sin to turn to Jesus, trusting him and receiving the forgiveness that he offers. And so, really, if you're not a Christian, this is my honest encouragement. I'd encourage you to tune out of the rest of the message and just think about what's just been said and respond to God. Now, for those of us who are Christians, let me say some things quickly because I've gone too long in this first part. Um, so number two is um, we need to see as Christians, it's not okay for Christians to be okay with not being okay. Everybody get that? Read it on the screen. Did I say it right? Okay. Uh, it's not okay for Christians to be okay with not being okay. In other words, as Christians, that is not something that gives us the license to live however you want to live. I mean, here's maybe a clarifying sentence, if that wasn't clear. In Christ, we are new creations with new hearts who are set free not to sin, but from sin. Okay? Uh, that, that's who we are in, 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 in Jesus. I got 15 minutes left, so we, let's turn the alarm off. Um, so... Um, Somebody was coming to the second service. <laughs> Time change. Um, so, you know, part of the evidence that we're really a Christian is, is that we have a hatred for sin and a desire to change even as we wrestle with sin. Does that make sense? You know, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin. But it means we don't want to be who we were. And if you're okay being who you were, well, you know, Josh Charles shared this in a testimony a few weeks. He was quoting a convict who had gotten saved. But I, I love this. If you is what you was, then you ain't. I mean, that, that's good theology, right? Does that make sense? If you is what you was, then you ain't. In other words, if you're saying you're a Christian and your life's not any different, then you're not really a Christian. So, grace and truth. Yes, there's grace, but grace is not just forgiving, it's transforming. And um, it's not okay. It's okay 
that we're not okay, but it's not okay to be okay with not being okay. And that, let me say that in a positive way. This is number three. It's okay for Christians to admit that we're not okay. Okay, number two was kind of the negative way to say it. This is the positive way to say it. It's okay for Christians to admit that we're not okay. Um, because we're not. And so, you know, there's no excuse for sin, but none of us is sin-free until we reach heaven. So we're called to confess sin to God and to others and to pursue repentance. Now, uh, let, me, let me show you this uh, biblically, okay? Um, let's kind of skip ahead and put up the, the 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 6 through 8. So Paul told the church uh, to deal with this man's sin. But the ultimate goal, and, and hopefully we'll have a minute for this, the end of the message, was not to condemn him, but it was to restore him. So look at what happens. So, he, you know, we, we have these names for it to help us identify it. In the Bible, we call it 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. You know, we usually call it books. But it's really, it's different letters that Paul, as an apostle, as a leader, wrote to the church here at Corinth. And so he writes him another letter. And look what he says. He says, this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So in other words, they obey. Paul's apostolic instruction. They, they disciplined this man, and look at what happened. He repented, apparently, and says, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. In other words, he admitted that he wasn't okay. He confessed his sin but he just didn't confess his sin. He stopped what he was doing. Because it's not enough just to say that we're sorry. And, and when he did that, Paul said, forgive him. Encourage him. Reaffirm your love to him. Listen, the, the problem is not ultimately when we sin, it's when we keep sinning. It's when we act like we don't have any sin. When we act like we got it all together. That, that's hypocrisy, right? When we're putting on a face, when we're putting on a front, but the reality behind it is not uh, what we're trying to convey. And, and, but see, God sees through it. But that's what kills our fellowship with God. And it's what kills our fellowship with other Christians. You know what I've found through the years? It's when people who have been consistent in church attendance just kind of disappear from church with, without a clear, obvious reason. It's usually there's some secret sin behind it. They're, they're not, they're, because they want to hide. And so look at what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Look at what God says to us here. He says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, now listen to this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So Christian, let me ask you a question. Would you say right now that, that you have fellowship with God, but, but in, in honesty, are you walking in darkness? Is there a hidden secret sin in your life that you're trying to cover up? God's message to us today is bring it out into the light. It's okay to admit that we're not okay. He says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. See, because sin not only breaks our vertical fellowship with God, it breaks our horizontal fellowship with each other. 
If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And listen to this promise. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we wanted to do a real literal wooden translation of that from the Greek, it's saying the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is continually cleansing us from all sin. But then look at what he says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it's like he keeps repeating himself. And if God repeats himself, he's got a reason. He says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And, and, you know, I don't think any of us are going to sit here today and say, I've never sinned at all. But how often do we do that in particular situations? I mean, it's pretty easy to say, yeah, I'm a sinner. It's a little more difficult to say, I sin here. I sin this way. I'm stuck in this sin. I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? But I want you to understand, that's when forgiveness and healing comes. Scott, if you would put up James 5, 16. Look, look at this verse. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails or accomplishes much. And I heard Craig Rochelle say about this one time. He said, we confess our sins to God for forgiveness. We confess our sins to each other for healing. We confess our sins to God for forgiveness. We confess our sins to each other for healing. And listen, I'm not talking about we need a priest. I'm not saying, you know, we talk to somebody about every sin we commit. But sometimes there are things that we're struggling with. Either it's a recurring sin or or, or we're dealing with guilt. Or it may even be something that somebody else has done to us. That You know, we need a friend, an accountability partner, a small group, a counselor, a pastor. We need to confess that or we need to talk to somebody about it. Because there's, there's just healing in that. Listen, Rick Warren says, I think he's right, we're as sick as our secrets. God says, walk in the light, not in the darkness. There's help, there's wholeness, there's deliverance, there's change, there's growth in the light, in the darkness, there's sickness and death and destruction. So if you need to talk to somebody, talk to, you know, talk to your small group, talk to a friend, get an accountability partner, uh, make an appointment with Lori Arwood, our church counselor, numbers on the back of the bulletin, talk to one of the pastors, you know, let us know whatever we can do to help you. Because that's the point, is, is we're not here to condemn anybody. We're here to restore people. Because it's not okay To not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. We don't want you to stay where you are. God doesn't want you to stay where you are. Jesus did not die for us to live a mess of a life. I mean, Jesus died on the cross not just to forgive us and and give us eternal life in heaven, but to give us an abundant life by his power working in us, the Holy Spirit who lives within us right now. But the way that happens is not on our own. It happens in the context of community. Remember what we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians 12? We belong to each other. We need each other. We need to serve each other and love each other and care for each other and minister to each other so we can be okay or more okay 
together to be a place where it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way because it's not okay for us as members of the body of Christ to be okay with not being okay, but it is okay for us to admit that we're not okay. You got, did, I, did I get that right? Did I get it right? Okay, you should admit that, Jessica. All right. Uh, you doubted me. Uh, I probably spoke, probably goes before fall. Let's see if I can get this last one out <laughs> real quickly. All right. Uh, so number four is, is it's not okay for the church to be okay with church members not being okay. It's not okay for the church to be okay with church members not being okay. You know, Paul was addressing the church instead of this man. And he used some very blunt language. And so here is, let me give you this sentence and, and just speak to it just briefly and then I'll be done because I want to give us a chance to respond. Put the next sentence up if you would, Scott. Right, I want you to look at this. What, the, what this text is saying to us as a church is we're called to restore the repentant but also protect the church from the rebellious. That's what he's saying here. I mean, that, that's probably, if, if, you know, I've tried to play off this core value, but if I just wanted to boil this whole text down to one big idea, it would be this one sentence. We're called to restore the repentant and to protect the church from the rebellious. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, uh, if a man is overtaken in any trespass and in any sin, uh, you who are spiritual, that means you who are saved, you have the Holy Spirit, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Restore means to restore to wholeness. It was used in secular Greek of a fisherman mending a broken net or a, or, or a torn net or a doctor setting a broken bone. That's what we're called to do for each other. But just understand restoration is always conditioned upon repentance. You see, when we talk about church discipline, it's really not about a sin. It's really about a lack of repentance. It's really about rebellion, continuing on in a sin, not dealing with it, not being honest about it, not seeking help uh, with it. I mean, you know, if somebody's trying to overcome something, we're not going to judge them. We're going to do everything in the world that we can to help them. Listen, if you are honest and open about your sin, we're going to help you. We're going to serve you. We're going to love you. It's just that when we hide in our sin and we continue on in it, and when we're in the darkness, we are commanded by God here and in other places to protect the leaven from spreading, to protect the evil uh, from spreading, to protect the health and the integrity and the testimony and, and the well-being of the church body and ultimately to protect the name of Jesus because ultimately this is about the glory of God and the testimony of the church to a watching world. And so that's, I mean, church leaders, we're called to bind up the wounded and, and to help those who are hurting and to bring back the stray. So, I mean, if, if you're a straying lamb, come to the table. There's grace. If you're not a Christian, come to the table there's grace. That's God's invitation to us today. But at the same time, as a church and as individuals, God wants us to have this biblical conviction and to live as people of grace and truth so that we're a place where it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Can we live that out as a church? Will we be committed 
to seeking to do that together in the name of Jesus Christ. Because that is a New Testament church. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads.